course, now it's time for Reflections from Asia with Harvey Stockwin. Now, Harvey is indisposed this week. Today's episode was first broadcast in April of this year. This is a Personal View programme. This past week, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was in the headlines as she announced that in 2016 she would be making her second run for the US presidency. Simultaneously, the South China Sea has been in the news following the revelation that China was now building new islands in the South China Sea to further complement the ones it is already claiming. So in pursuit of background to these developments, I turn to the massive 632-page memoir, Hard Choices, which Clinton recently wrote about her four years in charge of U.S. foreign policy. What has the possible next president of the United States got to say about the South China Sea and about China's assertions of possessing it? This week, you won't be hearing my opinions. You'll only be hearing Hillary Clinton's views on this very controversial arena. Early on, Clinton observes that China, emboldened by perceptions of American weakness and a rising current of Chinese nationalism, quote, started making more aggressive moves in Asia, testing how hard it could push. In November 2009, President Obama received a noticeably lukewarm reception during his visit to Beijing. The Chinese insisted on stage managing most of his appearances and refused to give any ground on such issues as human rights or currency valuation and offered pointed lectures on America's budget problems. The New York Times described the joint press conference between Obama and then-President Hu Jintao as stilted, so much so that it was parodied on Saturday Night Live. Many observers wondered whether we were seeing a new phase in the US-China relationship with an ascendant and assertive China no longer hiding its resources and enhanced military capabilities, unquote. Clinton concludes that, quote, the most dramatic arena for Chinese assertiveness was at sea. China, Vietnam, the Philippines and Japan all have coasts on the South and East China Seas. For generations, they have jousted over competing territorial claims in the area, over strings of reefs, rocks, outcroppings and mostly uninhabited islands. In the south, China and Vietnam clashed violently over contested islands in the 1970s and 1980s. China tangled with the Philippines in the 1990s over other islands. These conflicts may not be new, but the stakes have risen. As Asia's economy has grown, so has the trade flowing through the region. At least half the world's merchant tonnage passes through the South China Sea, including many shipments headed to or from the United States. Discoveries of new offshore energy reserves and surrounding fisheries have made the waters around otherwise unremarkable clumps of rocks into potential treasure troves. Old rivalries, heightened by the prospect of new riches, make for a combustible recipe, 
Clinton quickly separates herself from previous positive expectations of China's international behavior. Quote, Throughout 2009 and 2010, China's neighbors watched with increasing alarm as Beijing accelerated a naval build-up and asserted its claim to wide swathes of water, islands and energy reserves. These actions were the opposite of what former U.S. Deputy Secretary of State and later President of the World Bank Robert Zolich had hoped for when he urged China to become a responsible stakeholder in a much-noted speech in 2005. Instead, China was becoming what I call the select stakeholder, picking and choosing when to act like a responsible great power and when to assert the right to impose its will on its smaller neighbours, So it came as no surprise to Hillary Clinton when, quote, in 2009, just two months into the Obama administration, five Chinese ships confronted a lightly armed U.S. naval vessel, the Impeccable, about 75 miles from the Chinese province of Hainan. The Chinese demanded that the Americans leave what they claimed were their exclusive territorial waters. The crew of the Impeccable responded that they were in international waters and had a right to free navigation. China's sailors threw pieces of wood in the water to block the ship's path. The Americans responded by spraying a fire hose at the Chinese, some of whom stripped to their underwear after being doused. The scene could almost be considered comical if it did not represent a potentially dangerous confrontation. Over the next two years, similar standoffs at sea between China and Japan, China and Vietnam, and China and the Philippines threatened to spiral out of control. Something had to be done, unquote. Clinton concluded that a central part of the growing regional problem was that, quote, China prefers to resolve territorial disputes with its neighbours bilaterally or one-on-one because in those situations its relative power is greater. In multilateral settings where smaller nations could band together, its sway naturally decreased. Not surprisingly, most of the rest of the region preferred that multilateral approach. They believed there were too many overlapping claims and interests to try to settle them in a patchwork, one-off fashion. Getting all the relevant players in the same room and giving them all a chance to express their views, especially the smaller countries, was the best way to move towards a comprehensive solution, unquote. But it quickly became obvious to Clinton that any such multilateral solution would be very difficult to achieve, quote, My concerns escalated when I was in Beijing for the Strategic and Economic Dialogue in May 2010, and for the first time I heard Chinese leaders describe the country's territorial claims in the South China Sea as a core interest, alongside traditional hot-button topics like Taiwan and Tibet. They warned that China would not tolerate outside interference. Later, the meetings were disrupted when a Chinese admiral stood up and launched into an angry rant, accusing the United States of trying to encircle China and suppress its rise. This was highly unusual in a carefully choreographed summit, and although I assume the admiral had gotten at least a tacit go-ahead from his military and party bosses, it appeared that some of the Chinese diplomats were as surprised as I was, 
Finally, an opportunity to try the multilateral approach rose in 2010 when Clinton went to Hanoi. Quote, on the afternoon of July the 22nd, the ASEAN regional meetings began in Hanoi's National Convention Centre with long formal discussions on trade, climate change, human trafficking, nuclear proliferation, North Korea and Burma. But as the meeting stretched into the second day, there was one topic on everyone's mind, the South China Sea. The territorial disputes, already fraught with history, nationalism and economics, had become a crucial test question. Would China use its growing power to dominate an expanding sphere of influence or would the region reaffirm international norms that bind even the strongest nations? Naval vessels were squaring off in contested waters, newspapers were whipping up nationalist sentiments across the regions, and diplomats were scrambling to prevent open conflict. Yet China kept insisting this wasn't an appropriate topic for a regional conference. That night I gathered Kurt Campbell and my Asia team to review our plans for the next day. What we had in mind would require subtle diplomacy. We spent hours fine-tuning the statement I would make the next day and working out the choreography with our partners. As we started the ASEAN session, the drama began to build. Vietnam got the ball rolling despite China's objections to discussing the South China Sea in this setting. Vietnam raised the contentious issue. Then, one by one, other ASEAN ministers expressed their concerns and called for a collaborative multilateral approach to resolving territorial disputes. After two years of China's flexing its muscles and asserting its dominance, the region was at last pushing back. When the moment was right, I signalled my intention to speak. The United States would not take sides on any particular dispute, but we supported the multilateral approach being proposed, in accordance with international law and without coercion or the threat of force. I urged the nations of the region to protect unfettered access of the South China Sea and to work towards developing a code of conduct that would prevent conflict. The United States was prepared to facilitate this process because we saw freedom of navigation in the South China Sea as a national interest. This phrase was a carefully chosen one, answering the earlier Chinese assertion that its expansive territorial claims in the area constituted a core interest. When I was finished, I could see that Chinese Foreign Minister Yang Jiechi was livid he asked for an hour-long break before coming back to deliver his response. Staring directly at me, he dismissed the disputes of the South China Sea and warned against outside interference. Looking at his Asian neighbours, he reminded them, China is a big country, bigger than any countries here. It was not a winning argument in that room, unquote. Sixteen months later, in November 2011, the multilateral approach was tried again when Secretary Clinton accompanied President Obama to the East Asia Summit in Indonesia, the first U.S. president to do so. Quote, As in Vietnam the previous year, territorial disputes in the South China Sea were once again on everyone's mind. 
Just as at the ASEAN meeting in Hanoi, China did not want to discuss the issue in an open, multilateral setting, especially one that included the United States. Outside forces should not, under any pretext, get involved, said Chinese Premier Wen Jiabao. The vice foreign minister was more direct. We hope the South China Sea will not be discussed at the East Asia Summit, he told reporters. But smaller countries, including Vietnam and the Philippines, were determined to have the discussion. In Hanoi, we had tried to advance a collaborative approach towards peaceful resolution of disputes in the South China Sea. But in the months since that encounter, Beijing had dug in its heels even deeper, unquote. Obama and Clinton then attended a real summit. It consisted of just 18 heads of government, together with only their foreign ministers, no other outsiders. Singapore, the Philippines, Vietnam and Malaysia led off the discussion. Quote, Speaking in turn for two hours, nearly every leader repeated the principles we had discussed in Hanoi ensuring open access and freedom of navigation, resolving disputes peacefully within the framework of international law, avoiding coercion and threats, and supporting a code of conduct. Soon it was clear that there was a strong consensus in the room. The leaders spoke forcefully and without equivocation, but also without acrimony. Finally, after 16 other leaders had spoken, Obama took the microphone. He welcomed the consensus and reaffirmed U.S. support for the approach that had been articulated. While we are not a claimant in the South China Sea dispute, and while we do not take sides, we have a powerful stake in maritime security in general and in the resolution of the South China Sea issue specifically. As a resident Pacific power, as a maritime nation as a trading nation and as a guarantor of security in the Asia-Pacific region. Premier Wen was visibly displeased. This was even worse than Hanoi. He had not wanted to discuss the South China Sea at all. Now he faced a united front. Unlike Foreign Minister Yang in Hanoi, Premier Wen did not ask for a recess. He quickly responded, politely but firmly, defending China's actions and again insisting that this was not the appropriate forum for such matters, unquote. So you can see in her memoir, Hillary Clinton well describes the pattern of China's intransigence in the South China Sea. But so far, she has less to say about how the United States will counter and diminish it. <laughs>